Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Now, normally I say take your Bibles and turn there. Today's one of those sermons where I'm going to use a lot of Bible verses, so I'm going to put them all on the screen. So I'd encourage you to take notes on some kind of paper or device or something that'll let you jot a few notes down. Because I'm in my sermon series, The Ultimate Guide to the Christian Life, How to Elevate Your Walk with God. It's actually sermon number seven in the series, and there'll be a couple more before I finish it out. And so we've been all this time talking about how to get our Christian life to that point where we feel like we have a deep uh, relationship with God. And we want to jump there. We want to jump to the place. We hear people say things like, well, I felt God speak to my heart or God led me to do this. And like, we want that, right? That's where we should be. But we don't just go there. There's some, there's some uh, pragmatic, practical things we have to do that we incorporate into our Christian life. And as we incorporate these in our Christian life, it elevates our walk with God till we get to the point of we feel like we actually feel his presence every day of our lives. And so we've been going through those, those pragmatic things we have to do to get us where we want to be, to elevate our walk with God. And so I'd encourage you, if you've not heard those sermons, you can go on the app and listen to them right there. Go catch up on what you've not heard. Today, I want to preach on this subject, how to be generous when you don't want to be generous. How to be generous when you don't want to. I'll talk about that in a moment. Let me get there. We, we tend to go overboard on a lot of things in life, right? Like we can go overboard, for example, on food. You know, one bag of Doritos is not enough. It always takes a second bag to make you feel full. You can go overboard on entertainment. You, if you're a T, Tennessee fan, you can go overboard on expectation, right? Like you always, you bless your heart, you always enter the season thinking this is going to be the year. And um, anyway, you go way overboard. But this I do want to give, this is my PSA announcement, my public service announcement for Halloween this year is that you can overdo it on candy. As a matter of fact, read this news article just a couple weeks ago, and it's really sad. Like, I'm, it's, it's sad, but it's a good warning to us that a man in Massachusetts who is a construction worker was eating a bag and a half a day of a particular candy. And here's what it was, black licorice Twizzlers, bag and a half a day. He's 54 years old, and it, listen, he died. This is not a joke, he died. Now, the problem, according to the article I read, is something and I won't pronounce this right, glyceric acid, which is found in black licorice and other foods and that have the licorice root extract in them, and it can cause really low potassium. So the FDA says even as eating as little as two ounces a day, and that's a 16-ounce bag, even eating a little two ounces a day can cause an irregular heart rhythm, especially if you're over 40 years old. And of course, his death was an extreme case, but he had just switched from red Twizzlers, which would be my personal favorite, to black Twizzlers, and he'd got up to a bag and a half a day. That is a lot of Twizzlers to be eating. And he was in a fast food restaurant. Now, a lot of what I'm saying could have contributed to his demise, right? Like bag and a half, fast food restaurant. But his heart went out of rhythm. He had a heart attack in the fast food restaurant. They had to call 911. Ambulance came and revived him, but he passed away the next day. Because he went overboard with licorice. 
Now that's my PSA announcement. Because Halloween's coming around the corner. And I know what some of you parents do. You dig into your kids' candy and get out what you like. I'm just going to recommend stay away from the black licorice. Now, I'm not saying give it to your kids, but I'm just saying stay away from the black licorice. Who knew it could kill you? I mean, there's all these things in life you can go overboard with. And who knew that candy was on the list or licorice was on the list because there's some things you would never think about going overboard with and one of those things is what I'm talking about today is generosity I mean when's the last time somebody said to you way slow down there fella you may be too generous of a person I mean it's happened but it's not happened much because let me alleviate uh your anxiety today when it comes to this sermon on generosity because here's the truth no matter where you're watching today 99% of us struggle with generosity like 99% of us we don't do well at giving giving doesn't come natural to us uh generosity doesn't come natural to us as a matter of fact almost from toddlers on up we're taught to be takers and getters and not givers and generous and so look I'm saying it's a problem for the majority of us in the room and watching somewhere else that that generosity is issue but here's what we know about generosity that generosity is a hallmark of Christianity and generosity is a hallmark of God and generosity is the foundation of what Jesus came for Jesus was always given then of course we have that Bible verse for God so loved the world that he say it gave gave if it's foundational to the Christian life, and someone more spiritual than me said it, I'm just quoting it, you're never more like Jesus than when you're giving. If it's foundational to the Christian life, how do I become a generous person when truth is, to speak my truth, I don't really want to be a generous person? Let me show you some things about generosity that the Bible tells that help me with generosity and giving, and I think will help you with generosity and giving. And so before I dive into that, let me make some observations. I know some of you are thinking, oh, great, I show up today at turn, tuning in online. It's first Sunday I've ever watched, and here a preacher is talking, I get it. Listen, hang with me. It, it's it's going to be more than this. You say, well, you're just talking about giving to the church. And, and, and by the way, you never give to the church. You give to God through the church is actually how it works. You say, you're talking about giving. I definitely am talking about giving uh, it to the kingdom of God because some of what I'm going to show you only applies to that and giving uh, to God's kingdom defines your relationship with him throughout the Bible but I'm talking about more than that I'm talking about generosity in general because generosity helps you build relationships with others we have this proverb many I could have showed you Proverbs 19 6 many seek a ruler's favor but everyone is a friend of he, of one who gives gifts now you can approve your relationships around you with generosity. So let's put it in the realm of church. Let's put it in the realm of generosity in general. Now, let me define some terms. I always like to define some terms that, that you know, I've been a preacher for a pretty good while that we tend to throw out words that not everybody knows the meaning of. So let me, let me define some terms and, and put this in, in uh, perspective for you. Number one is the word tithe. Now, tithe is a word you're probably only ever going to hear in church or a church-related activity, right? You don't really hear NFL announcers talking about a tithe or anything. It really comes out of church. Well, a tithe is just a word that meant one-tenth. That's all it means is one-tenth. The baseline for giving in the kingdom of God is considered to be the tithe. That is 10% of the increase God gives you, you get back into his work, into his kingdom. That has been standard throughout all the Bible. It, it never has changed. That is the equivalent of if you're a parent of feeding your kids, right? God's like, you're a Christian. You should give back 
to the work that helped you hear the gospel so you could become a Christian so other people could hear the gospel. That is the baseline giving for the Christian. Tithing is not generous. That is the baseline giving for a Christian. It is the equivalent of feeding your kids. Nobody's going to give you a pat on the back for feeding your kids. You're kind of expected to do that, right? Y'all with me? Say amen. amen. The next word is offering. Offering is above and beyond the tithe. Now get this, you cannot give an offering until you've given your tithe. Meaning, if you give uh, and you say, well, I was generous, but you're not tithing, you've yet to be given offering. You can't give an offering until you've tithed. Now that's the equivalent of not just feeding your kids, but taking them out to McDonald's, right? That's like, well, I know I got to feed you, but I'm going to take you and get a happy meal and let you get a toy with it. And I'm going to give you a little bit of generosity so, so that I'm, I'm helping you with, you know, not just feeding you, but I'm helping you, you know, by giving you a little bit extra in it. That's, that's offering. Tithes and offerings. You see it throughout the Bible. And then you see your God talking about generosity. Generosity is giving above and beyond the tithe and an offering. So that's like not just feeding your kids. Not take, that's like taking your kids to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Right? Which you probably are not going to do. And I don't, I don't blame you for not doing that. But that would be generosity. It is above and beyond giving. Above your tithes. Above your offerings. You cannot be generous if you have not first given tithes and offerings. Here's what I mean by that. We're, we're going to look at, the Bible says this, I'm not going to read the verse, but the Bible says this, that um, in Malachi 3, he talked about robbing God. And robbing God was when you, they were not giving their tithes. When we don't give our tithes, God calls it robbing him, uh, which is the image of a gun to his head. You know, it's, it's a violent rob. You're taking from me that which does not belong to you. That's robbery. And here's the deal. You cannot be generous if you're robbing God. So these build on one another, tithes and then offerings and then generosity. Now you say, well, this is a very self-serving sermon preacher. Well, know this, my, my salary does not go up based on how much you give. It doesn't matter at all. But actuality, if you hear me, somebody said to me in between the services, said, no, it's hard to preach on generosity. It's not really because hear me, hear me. I don't, I don't, I'm not getting any more money because like, we're, we're okay. This is not trying to get you to get more money in church. But listen to this. Even science tells us that generosity improves your physical, emotional, and mental health. Here, here's some things I read this week that when you're generous, it, improve, it reduces stress in your life. That when you're constantly on the get Stress goes up. When you're on the give, generosity, your stress goes down. Because of that, it, reduce, it improves your physical health. When you reduce stress through generosity, your physical health is also improved. Not only that, uh, they tell us it gives us a sense of purpose, which improve, improves your overall quality of life. Not only that, they tell us it fights depression. That when you're a giver, when you're generous in your own life, it benefits you because you fight depression. When you're on the take, it increases your depression levels. We, we, we are not blessed when we're takers. We're blessed when we're givers. Not only that, they tell us it creates a longer life. And then two scientists at the Greater Good Science Center said this, that when you give, it improves all the relationships around you. When we give to others, we not only make them feel closer to us, but we feel closer to them. All of those are the benefits from a science perspective on what generosity does to you. And that doesn't even include what it does in your relationship with God. So how do we be generous when we really don't have that generous gene in our life? Let me give you five things that you need to keep in mind that will help you be generous. Number one is this. 
It's not how much you have. It's how much you have left. Luke 21, jot that Bible verse down. Luke 21, you'll know this story, many of you. It says, he looked up and saw, Jesus looked up and saw the rich man dropping their offerings in the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. Truly, I tell you, said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people are putting gifts out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. Now, Jesus is telling this story. Uh, they're in the temple, and they're watching people give their offerings. Now, there's a couple of ways they could give their offerings. One was a room that you could designate, go in and give it in front of a priest. And then other times, there was a temple box, almost like what we have up front and in the back, where you could drop your offering in the offering box. Most commentators I read believe that this occurred during a particular period of time when uh, at the temple they would announce the offering or the gift when you placed it in the offering. So, so get this, you're standing there and here's a box just like ours with a little slit in the top maybe and you walk by and you put in and the priest is standing behind it and, and you walk by and you put in a thousand dollar check and the priest would go this, $1,000, Mr. Smith. Everybody clap. Next guy come up, put a check in. $10,000, Mr. Jones. Everybody clap. Blue collar guy come up, doesn't have much, but gives it. He, literally, it, it was this dramatic. $10. Little Willow comes up. And the Bible says she dropped in two small coins, two copper coins. It would have been a fraction of a day's wage. Literally, it was two pennies. It, if you want to quantify it for our day and age, it's two pennies. And he would have said, uh, widow woman, smallest gift we've had today, two pennies. So Jesus has his disciples around him, right? The future apostles of the church. Jesus has his disciples around him. And they're hearing all this. And they're used to hearing it. This is just the way life was done in their day. And, and Jesus looked at them and said, hey, boys, I want to tell you something. That widow gave more than everybody else who gave. And Judas, who the Bible tells us was the treasurer for the ministry. And Judas would have been the one. It's not recorded, but you know, you know he did it. Judas would have been the one that would have said, hey, Jesus, uh, you you're a carpenter. This is not your fault. I know math is hard, uh, but she, she didn't give the most, Jesus. That, that man gave, you know, about an hour, he gave six figures an hour ago. Jesus, he gave two pennies. And so I just want you to understand that, you know, two pennies. And Jesus said, well, uh, Judas, won't you listen to me? They gave out of the abundance of their wealth. And after they gave, they were still wealthy. She put in out of her need and after she gave she had nothing left over so when they gave they were still wealthy when she gave even though she gave two pennies after that she was penniless and so Judas what you need to know is that in God's economy she gave more than all of the rest of them because it's not what you have that God is measuring, but what you have left after you give that God is measuring. So learn this church about generosity. God is measuring not what you gave, but what you have after you've given. So learn this. When you give much of little, that's generosity. When you give little of much, that is not generosity. 
When you give much of a little bit, you're generous. When you give a little of much, it's selfish. It's measured by what you have left over. And no one's advocating for you to stop giving today. All giving is kindness. But God calls us as believers to a higher purpose than just giving. God calls us to be generous. And he measures it not by how much you have, but how much you have left after you've given. And this year when the pandemic started, um, there are a lot of people calling on business leaders, wealthy people to help their economies. And so the Washington Post did a, a, a news story on the, the wealthiest people in America and how much they, they'd given during the pandemic. And so the, one of the people they examined was Jeff Bezos, who is the wealthiest man in the world, I think I read the other day, who owns Amazon. And by the way, he owns the Washington Post too. So I'm wondering if this writer still has a job after this. But he, he asked... Um, he measured how much Jeff had given during the pandemic, and, he'd, and Jeff had given $100 million to a foundation called Feeding America, Shelps that, and he gave $25 million here and $25 million there. Uh, he gave a couple hundred million dollars all together to various causes around America, and so he did the math, and he said that couple hundred million dollars compared to his wealth would equate to the average American giving $85. He said, wait, preacher, you gave a couple hundred million. Yeah, but he's got it. And it amounted to him giving $85. Well, you think, is he an anomaly? Uh, maybe not. So they looked at Mark Zuckerberg, who owned and started Facebook. And by the way, I'm not against wealth. I'm all for wealth. I'm very pro-wealth. I'm a Christian and a, and a capitalist, too. Like, I'm, all, I'm very pro-wealth. But, but sometimes the people who are yelling us the loudest aren't necessarily. And so uh, they looked at Mark Zuckerberg and he'd given $100 million during the pandemic to help small businesses stay afloat. And then he and his wife personally gave $58 million through their foundation to help Mer Americans who were struggling during all that. And when you compare to the $158 million, according to the Washington Post, uh, based on how much his, he actually was worth, he gave the average of what you and I would give of $84. It's good to know the billionaires are consistent. What do they do? Have a meeting and say, hey, let's give about an average of $85 a piece. And Mark came up a little short. See, you, you look at $158 million and if you're not careful, you're tempted to say, my goodness, what a gift. But I want to tell you, in God's economy, God say, it's about $80. It's about $80. Bucks. Don't, nobody get excited. It's about $80. Bucks. I, I blessed him with billions and he gave about $80. Bucks, and nobody get excited. Because it's a lot of money, but there's plenty left over. And see, God is not evaluating the gift. God is evaluating the giver. And here's always the question when it comes to God and giving. Do you love me enough to trust me to be generous? Because generosity says, I trust God. And the lack of generosity says, I trust me. Where do you fall in your giving? Even Paul told us this in 2 Corinthians 8. He said, for if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Paul told us again that, hey, it's not about what you have. It's about what you have left over after you give and learn the principle. You can be generous and give much of little and it's generosity, but give little of much and not really. Second thing that'll help you be generous is this, knowing that some promises are given only to the generous. generous. Look, in, uh, it's Malachi 3.10. The last book in the Old Testament says this, bring the full tenth, the tithe, into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without 
measure. God says this, trust me in your tithes and offerings, and then I'm going to pull out a, a storehouse of blessings I'm going to pull out on you. Now, look, we pour out. We love the second part. Like people quote the second part. We, we work the second part into songs and the, all that. But it's the first part that gets us because we tend to focus only on the promise and we ignore the condition. The promise was made on the condition. It's based on your generosity. You look through the whole Bible and you see that promises based on the condition of generosity. So this point is going to last a total of 30 seconds, but I want to get it to you. Here it is, this. Let me ask you a question. Do you want the abundant, overflowing, outpouring, superfluous blessings of God so much so that people remark on how much you are blessed? If you want that from God, say amen real loud. You did better than any other service did. Good for you. Well, how do we get the superfluous blessings of God? It's only given to the generous. I'll be honest, that ought to make Ebenezer Scrooge want to pull out a checkbook and write a check, right? That, that, the blessings of God, some promises are given to the generous. That's not a blessing that we just claim anytime we feel like it. That's a blessing God gives to those who are generous. Number three, the third thing I want you to know is this. Generosity reminds us that heaven is real. Now here's what he says in, in Timothy. He said, instruct those who are rich in the present age, rich in the present age, not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up, for tre- uh, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. First Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Now here's what Paul was saying there. They speaking directly to people who have wealth. And here's what he's saying. Too much here can get heaven off your mind. That you know every dollar you have in the bank when you die, when Jesus returns, is not yours anymore. You amassed it for nothing. Now, that is not saying you shouldn't save. That's not saying you shouldn't lay up for retirement. It's saying you shouldn't hoard and you should be generous because when I'm generous, I'm reminding that heaven is real. You know what? When I give, I'm reminding that there is an eternal afterlife I'm going to one day and you are too. When I give, I'm reminded that judgment is coming. And I, when I stand before God in judgment, I will give an account for every dollar and what I did with it that God gave me. And then Paul told him directly that when you give, it is a reminder that what you store up in heaven is what really matters. And so if you have a hard time giving and with generosity, so many of us do, your tithes, your offerings, generosity, remember this, heaven is real. And every time you give, you are reinforcing that in your mind. So we, when, when, we, when we pass, we don't pass offering plates. When we go to pvine.org slash give now, pandemic, and you're typing in a number in there to give your tithes, your offerings, and even above. For many people, that's a car payment they're typing in. That's a house, that may be an incredible amount of money. You're t- it's, it's definitely money you could spend and when you're doing that, you, when, you, when you put it in the write a check, mail it in, whatever you do, listen, listen, the enemy will say to you, he does to me, he said to you, you could use that money, you know that, don't you? And you, you come to a, deci- a crisis decision right there in your life. Could you use that money? Of course you could. You use all money. 
You'll take it all. That's why we bend over, bend over and pick up quarters on the road. We can use all money, right? Like we, we're not turning it down. But you give anyway. Do you know why? You're reminding that the treasures I lay up in this world will pass away. You say, mine are not going to pass away. I'm going to leave it to my kids. Yep, and they're going to Disney World and it'll all be gone. When I give, I'm reminded what I give in the kingdom stores up in heaven. And giving is a reminder heaven is real. Fourth thing we learn about giving that helps me be generous is this. Generosity is rewarded with generosity. 2 Corinthians 9. Paul said this. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Now, he'll take it from a grouch, but he'd rather you be happy about it. And uh, verse number eight, and God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Generosity is rewarded with generosity. Here's the thing about generosity. We have this theory that we have a fixed asset mindset that we have this pile of resources God has given us. And as I give from it, the resources will eventually run out. But that's not the way God economy works. He just said it. God says this, the more you give, the more I'll give to you. So I don't have a fixed pile of assets that I'm giving from that's going to run out. I have a growing pile of assets that the more I give, the more God gives back to me. That is the difference between what's called a scarcity mentality and an, uh, an abundance mentality. A scarcity mentality says, I got to be careful. Uh, I'm going I'm to give too much. And this one says, you know what? I'm just going to keep giving. I've used this illustration before. I'll use it again. Um, uh, a, a few years ago, more than a decade ago, my wife and I, we started just, we got tired of running out of toothpaste. You ever get tired of running out of toothpaste? So we finally decided one day, I'm just going to go to Walmart and buy all the toothpaste. Like, I'm just going to get it all. I'm tired of running out of toothpaste. It, it, I just, you'd, you'd always run out. And so we started to where we have this cabinet in our house. We keep about 15 tubes of toothpaste in there and our kids come over they take it you know but we put about 15 tubes of toothpaste in there and deodorant and soap and all that stuff we just stock that whole cabinet up and keep it full with stuff because here's what happened you ever get down your last tube of toothpaste and, and it's as flat as a board but you know you don't have any more you know what you do you just you, you just you just barely it's disgusting I know if you're a dentist but you'll just barely you just barely put a little toothpaste on that brush and say that's enough I got it maybe maybe I'll I think I can get two more days out of it. Don't, don't put too much. Honey, just use my toothbrush if you don't care. We don't, we, don't, we don't have enough on there. But you know what? When you got 15 tubes of toothpaste in the cabinet, you know how you put toothpaste on? I squirt it out like this. Like it, I, I use a half to. Why? Because I got plenty. That's the difference between a scarcity mentality and an abundance mentality. One thinks we're running out. One thinks there's plenty. Here's what God said. The only way to get plenty is to that makes no sense, is to give. But when you give, God gives you more. And so you never run out. And when you cut off the giving, God cuts off the giving to you. And God is going to reward my generosity with his generosity on my part. That means the surest way to overcome a deficit is to be generous. Sherry and I were going through Starbucks line the other day, and we were getting a, a couple of coffees, and um, uh, we rang them up, and it was, it was this... It was $13 for two coffees at Starbucks. And we like a particular kind. And so we got it. And I go up to the window 
And she said, it's $13. And I said, okay. And I took my phone and held my app out to pay with it. And she said, oh, the car in front of you has already got yours. And I mean, my heart, I thought, there's a church member up there. Got my coffee. How, Sherry, how sweet is that? And it wasn't, by the way. But anyway, I thought it was. And um, I wish some of you would follow me around to get, give my coffee for me. It would make me feel better. But um, uh, so she, had, you know, and then she, she's kind of leaning out the window like this. And I said, man, that was so sweet. And I put my phone back up, and she just kind of looked at me. I mean, I hadn't had coffee yet. I didn't know. I remember rain doesn't work good well until I have coffee. She kept looking at me like she was wanting something, and I, I, I didn't know. My, I couldn't catch it. And she said, it's been going a while. <laughs> and I'm like, what's been going Oh, you mean you've had this little thing where people are paying for the other person's car? She's been going a while. Yeah. Just thought I'd tell you. Okay. So I got my phone, opened the app, I held it up. I said, how much is the car behind me? I was already going to pay you. I said, how much is the car behind me? I, I just praying it wasn't a $100 coffee order for an entire plant of people that were going to need coffee. And, and, and she said, uh, it's a, she scammed my app. She said it was. Two dollars, it was almost three dollars. And my coffee was thirteen dollars. And I, I paid for the car behind me. And I put my phone up and she looked at me and she said, You lucked out on that one, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I did. Uh, and here's what I thought. Somebody in front of me bought I'm, I'm sure the person who bought my 13, she put that same pressure on them, and I'm sure they were thinking, Oh my good lord, I only see two people in the car. How could it be thirteen dollars? But that's the way giving works with God. I, I do my $3 generosity, but God gives me $13 worth of generosity. And it's, you say, is it measured in money? Of course it is. It's measured in so many other areas of life. That generosity in God's kingdom is rewarded with generosity. And then point number five, and I'm finished. The fifth thing you need to know about generosity is don't give from the leftovers. Don't give from the leftovers. This is a very important verse in the Bible to know. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Can I lean in on that word just a minute? First produce of your entire harvest. This, this is how... That's how Bible giving was done. Keep in mind, it was an agrarian society. Almost everybody was farmers to some extent. Some, most commercial farmers, all personal farmers. And so you have to understand, in the area, it's true still today in farming, but so much more true then where they didn't have the technology to boost uh, a bad crop. And so they would go out and they blood, sweat, tears, and toil. They would go out and plant a crop. And then there was so much work and prayer involved because they could lose their crops in so many ways. They could have a drought. They could have pestilence. A storm could kill their crop. It was not unusual for enemies to come through and just raise their crops and burn them to the ground for no reason. And so when you planted that crop, your livelihood was in that crop. Your family's food for the next year was in that crop. That crop was a big deal. Like your whole life depended upon that crop. And so they would plant it and they would pray and they would work and they would pray and they would work. And they had this expectation in their hearts. Oh God, please let this crop come in. I mean, you can imagine there, there was no Publix. There was no Walmart delivery. It was that crop or die. And when that family and that farmer first saw that fruit coming up out of that, 
that produce coming up out of the ground. No, tears, tears would fill their eyes. And God always gave them this command. When you see the produce coming up, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and I want you to mark off one-tenth of your fields, a tithe of your fields, one-tenth. And when that produce comes in, I want you to go, har- very first thing, I want you to go harvest the produce out of that tenth, the very first fruits that come up. I want you to harvest that produce. And I want you to give it to me as an offering. You say, oh, I bet they hated that. No, they were thrilled to do it because it, it reminded them that all of their blessings and increase came from God and God alone. So much could have gone wrong in that year. The, the fire and storm and pestilence and drought, so much could have gone wrong. And when they saw that, that increase come up out of the ground, they would weep with tears of joy and thank God for it. They'd load up a wagon full of that tenth of the first produce. And listen, before they'd ate a bite out of the field, before they'd harvested anything for themselves, they would enthusiastically load that tenth up and carry it down to the temple and give it to God and say, God, we recognize all of our gifts come from you. Here is our offering. The first produce of your entire harvest. And here was the promise if they did it. Your barns will be completely filled and your vats will flow with new wine. Meaning everything you plant is going to come to fruition. They didn't dread doing that. They wanted to do it. Here was the the opposite of that. The opposite of that would be to fill your barns with produce. And then have a family meeting and say, should we give anything to the Lord's work? I mean, should we give to God? I don't know. Should we give to God? And the wife might say, I don't know, honey, I, I started putting this stuff up and I don't just think there's as much as what you think. And, you know, the uh, granny's got a pain in her hip, which means it's going to be a bad winter and we may need more food than we normally need. And I just think we ought to hold on to it. And let's do this. If there's any left over at the end of the year, we'll give that to the Lord. The weird thing was there was never any left over at the end of the year. And so God said, here's the pattern. Don't give me your leftovers. Listen, church, look, look at me. No matter where you are, look at me. The only reason you have anything in life is from God. Your health, your home, your paycheck, your lack thereof, everything you have comes from God. And when you give him leftovers, you're saying to God, God, it's, it's not you, it's me that's doing this. You remember that guy in the New Testament who violated this principle, who filled his barns up? God said, good for you. Your barns are filled up. Tonight, I require your life. I'm not saying God's going to kill you or anything. I'm just saying, be careful. Because you can give God leftovers. In the Old Testament, Malachi, where I was talking about that verse a moment ago in your tithes, did you know this, that the whole reason they were kind of in trouble in Malachi is they had been bringing leftovers and giving them to God. And God finally said, it's hilarious if you read the book of Malachi, God finally said, I am sick to death of you giving me leftovers. I'd rather you shut the church down than bring me leftovers every week. Literally. But it's what we do. It's what we do. If you, want the, if you want to be generous, if you want the generosity of God in your life, you have to start with generosity, not hope it's there at the end. This, this one statement will be worth you coming to church today and hearing. 
And here's the instruction. Don't pay your bills and adjust your giving. Give first and adjust your living. This is what we do. We, we pay our bills and we say, Lord, if there's any left over, I'm going to give you some of it. Well, it's not God's fault we got ourselves in a financial mess. Here's what God said do. No, don't do that. You be generous first. Write that check first. And then adjust your living based on a life of generosity. Can I tell you what my experience has been when my wife and I started doing that? We rarely had to adjust our living. We, we've tithed. My wife will tell you. We've, we've mailed a... I have, I, I literally, and I get these stories every time I preach on giving, which is not much, by the way. I get these stories every time. I love it. If you have this story, come tell me. I get it every time. We've written a check on Sunday that, that if a miracle didn't happen, it would bounce when it got to the bank, given out of our leftovers. But, you know, even giving, but we always gave our tithes, and a miracle always would happen. I mean, I can't even explain it. There was one time I got an insurance check in the mail. I didn't know what I was supposed to get. I didn't take it back. But God does that. What we found in our lives is when we give first and we're generous first, we just don't give. We want to give tithes. We want to give offerings. We, we have an account just for generosity that my wife and I give to other preachers who are going, I'm going to write a check this afternoon for a preacher whose wife has cancer and they're going through some terrible medical issues. And, and so we, we try to be generous to other preachers. We've done that for years because we want to go above and beyond and not give God leftovers, but start with generosity. Don't pay your bills and adjust your giving. Give first and adjust your living. Stand up with me. Last year, last year I did a, a, I told you a sermon illustration about this guy right here, Forrest Finn. I don't know if you remember Forrest Finn or not. He is an art dealer who made a few million dollars out West and not, not filthy rich, but does well, did well. And I think he's in his late seventies or eighties now, but about a decade ago, he took a, um, chest of treasure and he buried it out west it was filled with rare gold coins jewelry and other artifacts that he said had a minimum value of about a million dollars it was estimating 1.2 1.3 1.4 5 million dollars and he literally went and dug a hole in the ground buried it in a hole in the ground and then he published a 24 line poem that was published in his 2010 autobiography called the thrill of the chase and the 24 line poem had clues throughout the poem about where the chest was found. Now, now he said, look, I'm kind of an old man. I, I, I buried it where I could carry a chest of gold to. So it's not that far off a road. People went berserk. They've been looking for it for uh, over a decade. People quit their jobs, literally, to s devote full time to treasure hunting for this treasure. Some people went bankrupt and spent all of their life savings looking for this box of treasure. Four people, tragic, four people died. I mean, Forrest had to come out and say, hey people, I, one guy died rappelling down a cliff and he was like, hey, I'm 80 years old. 
I didn't rappel down a cliff with a treasure chest on my back. Four people died. This year, this summer, somebody found it. And the hunt is off. They actually took a photo of where it was and, and of the treasure, sent it to Forrest, and he said, yep, that's the treasure. They've yet to announce they're wanting to remain anonymous. How funny is it that people would go bankrupt, quit their jobs, or even lose their lives spent searching for a treasure, on the chase for a treasure that they think will make them happy, when in reality, and I'm not against treasure hunting, have at it, but in reality, the real joy is not found in finding a treasure, it's found in giving a treasure. I mean, for all, just do a little research on lottery winners and you'll see. The greatest treasure is not in finding it, but in being generous. George Sweeting, the former president of Moody Bible Institute, said this. When we come to the end of life, the question will be, how much have you given, not how much have you gotten? We know that, but we live... We live by the bumper stickers. He who dies with the most toys wins. Nope. Nope. He who lays up the most treasures in heaven. Those who give and those who are generous, they win. So how do you be generous when you don't want to be? You remember. It's not how much you have, but how much you have left. Some promises are only given to the generous in the Bible. And it reminds us that heaven is real and that God rewards generosity with generosity. And when we give him the first fruits and not the leftovers, we're reminded that everything we have comes from the Lord. So I don't really give anything to God. I return what God has given me to God. How about you? If you're online at Rossville here in the room, you're a Christian. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? And if you're watching online, don't go anywhere. I'm going to come right back to you in a moment. But bow your heads and close your eyes. Now, no matter where you are, even in this room, if you're not a believer, would you look right up here? Because if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you might hear me say, oh, great, another preacher. Well, this is not, nothing to do is about money. I want to tell you, if you're not a believer, here's the greatest thing. If you're not a Christian, God gave you the greatest gift you could ever receive already, his son, Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave. And the very first thing God wants you to do is receive the gift that he's already given you, his son. And that's how you become a Christian. That's how you be saved. That's how you know Christ is in your life and, and eternity in heaven is your home. Well, how do you do that? Look this way. It's ABC. Admit that you're a sinner and can't save yourself. The Bible says, for all the sin and falling short of the glory of God. That means you can't earn your way to heaven. I couldn't earn my way to heaven. I wouldn't trust the best five minutes of my life to get me into heaven. We've all sinned, the Bible says. And so knowing that, B, you've got to believe that Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again the third day. Paul called that in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel story. That's, you have to believe that. That's the crisis of faith. You have to believe that. And C, you have to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That you have to put your faith and trust in him. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, whether you're watching online, Rossville, or here at Rock Spring, I, listen. I want you to be saved today. Listen, God would have nothing greater for you than for you to trust him as Lord and Savior of your life and know that heaven is your eternal home, not a place called hell, but a place called heaven. Would you like to do that today? I'd love to lead you in prayer. And it's not the words you say, but the intent of your heart is to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you'd like to be saved today, then just bow your head with me and say a prayer something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. 
But I know that Christ died on the cross for my sin and rose again the third day. So just now, I invite Christ into my life to save me, forgive me of my sin, and to give me a home in heaven. I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer with me for the first time in your life, look this way, and here's what I want you to do. Take out your phone and text, I did, to the number 97,000. I did. We have a little booklet we want to send you that tells you the next seven steps to take in the Christian life. You'll be a little frustrated with your Christianity if you don't know what to do next. And this little booklet will lay those out for you. I did, no spaces, to the number 97,000. We'll just get a little bit of information from you, enough just to send you this booklet, and uh, we'll get it out to you this week. I did to 97,000. Now, every head bowed, every eye closed. With your own line in the room, wherever you may be, one of our campuses, hey, let's just be honest. Can we be honest, have a moment with God? Knowing I can't see you, knowing I'm not taking, I'm not looking. Can we be honest? How many of you be honest enough to say, raise your hand before God, just to God alone and say, God, I have a problem being generous and I need you. Look, that's, that's me in my life. God, I have a problem being generous and I need your help with it. You just hold your hand up and raise it up to God. Just tell him. Don't tell me. I can't say. Tell him. Look, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, generosity, I don't know why it's so hard for us. I mean, the foundation of the Christian life is God gave. So help us be like Jesus. Knowing, God, that all the things you say in your word about generosity are true. And yet we still have the hold on mentality instead of the give and generosity mentality. So help us be obedient and generous. And our tithes, our offerings, generous with God and with others. Let us just be generous people who give and give and give. And may you meet our need, as you said, and much more as we give. I pray, Lord, there are people in the room right now who struggle with generosity and God, they're going to need to see their faith rewarded. We've all seen you do that in our lives. Would you do that in their lives just now? Somebody's going to tithe for the first time. Somebody's going to give for the first time. Somebody's going to be generous to your kingdom and to others for the first time in their lives. And when they do that, God, connect the dots to the generosity you're giving them in their lives build our faith we love you in jesus name we pray amen we hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply god's word to your daily life for the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine city be sure to connect with us on social media for more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.